Hi, and welcome back for episode number 11. And to start off this episode of Living On Purpose podcast, I've got some questions for Pastor John, some quiz questions about our podcast. Thought we'd just have a little bit of fun here. John. Yes. Who do you think listens to our podcast more, men or women? Oh, that's a good question. I want to say women. That would be false. Oh, really? Men are, take up uh, 53% of our listenership. Wow. So okay. good job, men. Okay, I'm going to name off five countries. We're just not in the U.S. We're like worldwide. Wow, that's Which cool. is impressive. That's cool. Um, so thank you, gracias or danke to those <laughs> that are listening. Um, so I'm going to name off five countries. You tell me the country that is false. Okay. Okay. So Germany, England. Mexico, Canada, and St. Martin in the Caribbean. <laughs> wow. I want to say England. England is false. The other four countries wow. we have people listening to it. That's amazing. So thank you. Oh, thank that's you for incredible. Listening. Yeah. That's incredible. And then what has been our most listened to and kind of episode? Shocking, actually. Yeah, yeah. What has been our most listened to episode? Uh, I'm going to say the episode on alcohol. Wrong. Oh, it was the episode that we did about why Emmanuel canceled the Abdul Murray event. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And that had 80 plays. Wow. So that's our biggest episode by far. That's awesome. What's the average? Do you know? Averaging around 30. Okay. 30. So okay, cool. That's great. So yeah. It's a good just, start. We've only been doing it for a few weeks. Right. So yeah. just a little bit of fun to start this episode off. So we do have another question and people keep sending questions in. So we're very thankful to you for sending those in. Here's yes. question number 10. Can there be a wrong method in trying to reach someone with the gospel? Okay. So this is kind of a loaded question and I'm actually going to read to you uh, the full kind of statement and question that was sent to me, just so uh, everyone kind of gets an understanding of this. Okay. First Thessalonians 5, 22 through 24. And this was sent to me, these, these verses, and then uh, some of the thoughts here. It says, abstain from all appearances of evil and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and body um, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he, they called you and also will do it. And so someone sent me these verses and then they said, does this nullify different types of ministries that Christian churches or Christians do to reach unbelievers and uh, share Christ? And then he goes on to say, when I was younger, I would use things like Christian heavy metal to help share my faith with my friends who, like me, were into that type of music. It was a subtle way to meet them where they were in their interests and in their lives and to help plant seeds of faith in them. I was always inspired by a quote from C.T. Studd, and the quote goes like this, some want to live within the sound of a church bell, but I want to run in a, a rescue shop within one yard of hell. I actually mm -hmm. love that statement. Yeah, that's really cool. Was that a, So his question was, was that an incorrect way to share my faith? So mm -hmm. the question really has to do with uh, motivations and methods. And is it possible to be sharing your faith with the wrong methods or the wrong motivations, I think is really uh, the gist of the question. So I have four thoughts I want to share today. Number one, my first thought is, uh, can there be a wrong method? The answer is yes, but only if it directly violates scripture. Hmm. I think that's really important to understand that, right? If it directly violates scripture or goes against the spirit of scripture, 
In particular, it goes against the grammatical historical context of Scripture, the heart of what Jesus was trying to get across, the, the focus of Paul's epistles to the churches. If it goes against those things or in some way hurts um, the purity of the gospel, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Now, the question really is uh, for the particular listener and his question, the question I would ask to him is, were you doing something that violated scripture? And my answer to him would be no, mm. no. Okay. But before we really get into that, my second thought is this, and this goes along with what I said a moment ago. Whenever you're looking at scripture, it's really important to understand the grammatical historical context. Right. So the question is, what is First Thessalonians 5, 22 through 24 actually saying? Again, the grammatical historical context. Well, I want to give that to our listeners so that they understand what it is, because when you read the verses, you could think, all right, well, maybe it's an appearance of evil to have hard metal Christian music. And I would say that's not the context of what it's talking about. So the purpose of First Thessalonians was to strengthen the Thessalonian Christians in their faith and to give them assurance of Christ's return. That's kind of the theme of this book of the Bible, this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica. It's really focused on the return of Christ, giving them assurances and also giving them motivation and how to live their life in light of Christ's return. Even for us now, so many years later, God calls us to live in light of his return. In other words, to prepare for his return. So the context really appears to focus on utilizing spiritual gifts in the right ways by loving others and worshiping God without pretense. Now, what does that mean? It means that what we do, we do with the right motives. What we do, we do it for the Lord Jesus. And what we do, we do it uh, selflessly, not selfishly. Mm -hmm. So in verses 23 and 24, the focus, I believe, is on maturity in Christ. If you read in chapter 4, the the previous chapter, chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, is talking about purity Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 is talking about brotherly love. Chapter 4 and verse 13, all the way to chapter 5 and verse 11, is really focused on understanding the coming of Christ. And so it's it's as if at the very end in chapter 5, this is like a type of benediction or a review of personal holiness as defined in the previous exhortations that Paul has given in the previous chapters. So my thought is that these verses are not necessarily talking about a particular method of ministry. They're focusing in context on righteous living in light of the return of Jesus Christ. And so there needs to be, in essence, a watchfulness for Christ's return that does change our motives from selfishness to selflessness. So that's really important to understand. That's the key to what's happening in the context. And so when I think back to the question that we received is it possible that you can have uh, methods that are dishonoring of the gospel? Well, yes, but the ones that uh, our listener has given to us, I would say no. I would say no. Now, uh, actually, before I go any further, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, when you were talking about that, it brought to mind uh, in First Corinthians in chapter 9, Paul talks about his use of freedom. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Yeah. I think that that's kind of how I feel like this question is leading. Like, do we do we use all sorts of methods? Right. Right. Yeah. Except sin. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So 
uh, I love that you brought that up. Literally, when I was writing uh, my thoughts down, I was going to re- read that passage and I forgot about it, but the Holy Spirit didn't forget about it and put it on your heart. So I'm Great. so glad that you brought that up. Literally, Paul goes on to say that, you know, he became all things to all people so that by some means he may, may see some saved. So that's a powerful reality uh, of what's going on there. So, yes, I mean, I think methods matter. Now, I have a lot of thoughts about that, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, let me first give you my third thought. My fourth thought will really deal with methods a little bit more, okay? Mm-hmm. My first my first thought is this. Yes, you can have the wrong kinds of methods, but only if they violate Scripture. Number two, again, we looked at the context of First Thessalonians 5, 22 and 24. And now, number three, the third thought is this. There's biblical precedence for using cultural tools for gospel impact. I mean, I think it's really important that we do use the culture that we live in Mm -hmm. to influence people for Christ. One of the most incredible examples is found in Acts chapter 17. Paul finds himself in Athens. Athens with its magnificent buildings and its many gods, its incredible Greek culture. Paul was going into the synagogues. He was reasoning. It was an opportunity. The synagogues were Jewish places of worship where you could go in and it was almost like um, an opportunity for everyone to get a chance to speak. It wasn't like a, a Sunday in a ch- you know in church where I'm the only one preaching. There was mm-hmm. often people that could come up and share something. And so there were different people that believe in different things. We'll talk about that in just a minute. They heard Paul speaking. And so um, they brought him to uh, a place that's called the Areopagus. Okay. So think about this. Athens was the center of Greek culture and philosophy and education. The people there, they're always looking for something new to hear. And so again, here's Paul in the synagogue. They find Paul and they bring him to speak at the meeting of the Arapagus. Okay, the Arapagus was a judicial body exercising authority in matters of philosophy and education. And of course, there was always conversation about religion. So there are two different groups of people in Acts chapter 17 that we see. We see the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, I don't want to go too deep into this, but the Epicureans, they advocated for a life of pleasure free from pain. That's what they believe. So mm-hmm. everything was about pleasure. Everything was about their pleasure. Then there were the Stoics. The Stoics, um, they really advocated for a life of strict discipline, and they focused on nature and man's reasoning as his highest good. And so we think of the idea of nature. We think of what's called pantheism, the worship of nature in the sense that God is in nature. God is in everything. That's really the idea of pantheism. And so that's really what they believed. And so these different lines of thinking then led to different systems of belief. I just mentioned pantheism. Polytheism was another system of belief, the the worship of multiple gods. And then also there was the belief system of deism. Deism is the idea that there is a God, but he's almost like a grandfather up in the sky. It's like he sets a clock in motion and then he just takes a step back and lets it go its own direction. Hmm. And so uh, that's uh, what was believed by many of the people that day. So how does Paul address these Greeks? Well, the one thing he doesn't do, he doesn't use Jewish culture. He doesn't use uh, Jewish history because that would have meant nothing to them. Mm-hmm. That was not a, a strategy that would have meant anything to them. And so instead, uh, he addresses something interesting. The Bible says in verse 22 of chapter 17, He stood at the meeting of the Arapagus and he said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. So first of all, he's kind to them. Mm -hmm. He notices, he respects their system of belief, even though it's evil and wrong. 
Um, and then in verse 23 says, as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. He goes on in verse 24. Now you got to understand, uh, they didn't necessarily believe that there was one God. They believed in multiple gods. And so uh, that's polytheism, right? And so what does Paul say in verse 24? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so he gives the idea that the true God is involved in the affairs of mankind. He's not just up in heaven or up in the sky looking down. Um, you know, there's not multiple gods. There's one God. So he speaks to these realities. But then he does something amazing. In verses uh, 23 and 24, he really speaks to, to where they are in their system of belief. And um, he focuses on... Um, different things that, you know, they didn't necessarily believe, like I mentioned a moment ago. But now he moves on to something even more amazing. He doesn't address them with Jewish culture, Jewish history. Instead, he notices their altar, as I said, and then he recognizes their own poets. He quotes their own poets. So in verse 28, he says, uh, talking about God, verse 27, I should say, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. He's talking about creation. He's talking about God setting the, the different times for mankind, the exact places of where men would live. So he's going against deism. He's speaking to absolute things. And then in verse 27, he says, well, God did this so that we would, we would reach out to him. We would seek him. And then in verse 28, this is where he quotes their poets. He says, for in him, we live and move and have our being. That's a statement that Paul didn't make up. He's quoting a Greek poet there. Mm. And then in, uh, at the very end of the verse, he says, as some of your own poets have said, and he actually, he says that the poet said this, and there's another quote, he says, we are his offspring. These are two statements that the, that the Greek poets had said in the past. And so he's arguing that even their own poets collaborate his message at some level, a message of anti-deism and a message of anti-polytheism. And so what happens? He has their attention hmm. and he uses a creative method. Now, there's so much more of the story and I'm not preaching a sermon today. Right. So right. I can only share so much. But the point is, is that there's absolutely biblical precedence for us to use cultural tools for gospel ministry. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. When you said that he's quoting their own poets to them, that's what brings me back to this question that this person asked is he's he wants to use like Christian heavy metal. You know, that's kind of speaking to him. That speaks to a whole nother culture of people. And if the lyrics are, are good and, and Christian, then that could help to, you know, plant some seeds and, and lead them back toward the gospel. Yes, it absolutely can. I mean, for some of you listening, you might think, well, that's crazy. Well, I mean, to each of their own, right? We're all impacted in different ways. We all have different interests in um, different things that matter to us individually. And so... I do think like it's really important for us to understand that God has given to us creative minds. And so God desires that we use those creative minds, not that we're trying to uh, water down the gospel, not that we're trying to ever um, replace the gospel, um, but we need to um, use the, the context in which we live, our own interests, our own experiences, our own spiritual gifts for that matter. 
it's really important that we utilize those things. So let me give you the fourth thought, okay? Fourth thought is this. Methods come and go, so we should use them but not rely on them. And I think that's really important. Mm. Here's a lesson that I learned. When I was a youth pastor, I've always been kind of sappy when it comes to music, okay? Mm. Not really love music. I wasn't really into that. But I've always loved emotional worship music. And that's why I love Hillsong music, mm. okay? Now, I don't agree with every doctrinal stance that Hillsong has, okay? But... Um, the gospel is what they proclaim and they believe it. And I love their music. I think it's anointed by God in a special way. So uh, when I was a youth pastor, I'd be pumping music uh, through the system. We had a you know a big system in the church. I'd be pumping music through the system uh, for my outreach program, bringing in a couple hundred teenagers every Thursday night. And I finally had some of my youth leaders come up to me and they're like, why are we playing Hillsong? Like these kids they would do way better and they're more into like Christian rap. And they're like, why don't we start playing Lecrae? Okay. And I remember at first thinking, no, man, that's not what I want to do. But then I began to think to myself and I began to think it's not about me. It's not about me. And so I did something that I was not really comfortable with. Not because I don't, um, not because I have an issue with Lecrae, at least at that time, but like, um, because maybe, um, there's a tool, a method that would be better for teenagers. And so mm -hmm. I change a mindset with that. At some point, though, I will say this, a method must lead to maturity. And so this is the tension, right? Um, we're impacted by different styles. But if my whole faith is predicated on a style, my longevity in following Jesus could eventually be in trouble. For sure. And what I mean by that is like we have to move beyond even what we're comfortable with sometimes in our methods, okay? In other words, uh, we must not allow our preferences to control our decisions. I mean, you may enjoy, a lot of people come to contemporary churches because they enjoy the worship style, and I do very much. I mean, it's absolutely what I enjoy the most. But don't let that be the main reason why you're staying in a church, right? Because you become uh, in danger of becoming a consumer instead of a producer, We've got to be really careful, though. And it, you almost end up idolizing that style over the gospel, right? I want this my way, and yet people are out there not being reached by the gospel. Absolutely. I think the styles are always coming and going. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the reasons why I love, and I'm going to give a little plug here, one of the reasons why I love Cedarville University so much, um, number one, my daughter's there, okay? <laughs> but number two, like if you ever pay attention to their chapels, they're very... Uh, um, diverse in their worship styles. Like they, they're very, very good with a contemporary uh, worship style, but then they'll have a choir, they'll have an orchestra. They do all sorts of things. And what they're showing the people that are watching, the people that are connected to the university, is that styles can be used in so many different ways to glorify God. And everyone's impacted in a different way. When I came to Emmanuel, I made a decision. We're going to make changes by addition instead of changes by subtraction. We still have a traditional gathering here to go along with our contemporary gathering. Now, 90% of the church comes to our contemporary gathering, but it's important that you know people can worship in a way that they understand and they relate to, but not be married to that style to the point of where it, it totally consumes them because God is calling us to, to be a producer. So to use it as an initial tool to reach someone with the gospel is great. Um, but in the long run, as you grow in your maturity, what you'll find out is that it doesn't really matter. You just want to grow close to Christ, influence people for him, and be a part of relationship building with other people. So I don't think it's wrong to use multiple methods. I mean, I preach by using a lot of different styles uh, in my preaching, like a lot of stories, a lot of role plays. I remember Howard Hendricks years ago, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. 
He said you learn what you hear 10% of the time. You learn what you see 50% of the time. You learn what you do 90% of the time. And that's why I like to use illustrations and role plays. We, we use graphics quite a bit. We have programs like Upward and CR and Amplify. These are all hooks to reach people. So I do think um, it's important to use these things. But it's also important to realize that if we're consumed by making the gospel palatable for people, we may be wasting our time because at the end of the day, um, you know, sometimes, often I should say, what you uh, win people with, you win them to long term. Mm-hmm. And so... There's a fine line here is what I'm trying to say. I'm always, I'm, I'm almost feeling a tension here, right? There's a fine line. Um, and sometimes it's hard to know where that line is. And I guess my final thought is that it's important for us to be culturally relevant while we're biblically passionate. And so to the original question, I would say if your motivation was right and you were looking to honor God, was it okay to use the hard metal music? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it comes down to, are we being true to the scriptures and are we allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us? Great. Great. That puts a nice bow on it. Thank you, John. In this Christmas season, wrapped it up like a present for everybody. <laughs> thank you. Hey, we want to thank you for listening to episode 11 of the Living on Purpose podcast. If you have a question for Pastor John to answer, please email him, john at weareemmanuel.life, and we will talk to you on the next episode.